Okay, so hello and welcome to the first 2020 episode for the Interactors podcast. Bear with us, it's our first one, so we're still figuring stuff out. But we have, for our first episode, Head of Audience Growth and also City Alumni and Guest Lecturer, Sarah Marshall. Hi. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Before the lecture, I know it's probably out of your way and out of your day, so thank you very much. Um, So I guess kicking things off, just tell us about Audience Growth at Vogue. So I've been doing audience growth at Vogue for the past three years. So Vogue is a 127-year-old, I think, institution where it started publishing print, as we all know it. It reached just a quite a small population, a thousand subscribers in the early days of the print magazine. And of course, that was what Vogue was great at, just reaching the class of people, not the mass. That was Condé Nast, who later bought Vogue, his kind of mantra, class, not mass. Now... Fast forward 120 years to the internet, and obviously that changes. We need to reach a large audience online to be meaningful, and we need to tell brilliant stories in order to do that. It's the stories that are important. So um, I joined because I saw an opportunity of really growing what Vogue is online. I work closely with 10 Vogues around the world, including British, Japan, Vogue Russia. And so I'm in this lovely position where kind of thinking about how we can grow all of their web audiences, their engagement on platforms like Instagram, which of course is a beautiful marriage for a brand like Vogue. Amazing. And why was it Vogue? I mean, like you said, the opportunity came to you, but I'm sure for audience growth, there's so many other platforms that you could have gone to and maybe arguably expanded even more. So why was it like a fashion brand that attracted you? So I would never would have dreamt that I would have ended up working for Vogue and yeah. a fashion brand. So I previously worked at the Wall Street Journal, a subscriber publication, and so a lot of that audience development, which I, I did then up online, was not only growing the overall audience, but really growing loyals, which would then turn into people who might pay. It's actually very, very similar at Vogue. We're not just trying to grow the size of the audience, and we've we're well on the way to doubling it over a, over a three-year period. What we need to do is we also need to bring people back frequently. And what we found, even though we've got 8% of our audience is loyal, they deliver about half the page views. So they see more advertising, they're more likely to watch a video, more likely to give us an email address, which of course then we form that direct relationship. So I was totally taken out of my comfort zone, much more comfortable with kind of business news, business journalism, and thrown into this world of fashion journalism, but really kind of using those same tools of thinking about evergreen content and that basis of for a site um, beyond the daily stories that kind of get a small peak, those that kind of get a peak and traffic every day of the year if done right. So the challenge was, was, was given to me and at that stage the Vogue's needed a lot of work. They were quite small audiences, they were often companion sites to the magazines, I think it's, it's fair some of them were, and now what we've done is really made digital really important to the future of, of, of the brand. Would you say that digital's more important than maybe the print for Vogue now? I think both are important Mm. differently and what's really nice as well to be able to think 360 as everybody calls it (laughs) and when we're doing you know whether it's a a cover story whether it's a video and what feeds what and which platforms it's relevant for and how we give people direction to shoot so that it can be cut square or vertical or, or horizontal and really thinking about those changing needs but really trying to make the most of every platform and make make the content sing on every platform and, and kind of find the right audiences. 
In terms of traditional journalism, how do you think that um, that's prepared you for audience growth? Because it's the same field, but quite different. You're looking at analytics and metrics, whereas you've got traditional journalism that doesn't do that. So how, how did your, and also your MA here, how did that all prep you for, for what you do now? So I trained as a journalist, I worked as a journalist, I worked kind of a local reporter and then various beats. And I think if you don't have that journalism background and that understanding of stories and content strategy, you can't really do audience growth. Yeah, you can get really good at SEO and kind of game it. You can get really good at social strategy, but really, unless you can think editorially, because it's the stories that matter, you know, we can, we, can, we can kind of polish the edges and think about how to bring, you know, how to really change a story so it works for SEO, but really without meaningful, impactful, original stories, you, you really haven't got a, 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 a future or, or an audience to develop. Would you say that Vogue's maybe changed its branding? Like, I always associated it with just fashion, and now, especially online, it's much more evergreen content. Mm-hmm. Would, do you think that's just key now? Like, there has to be that, that content. It's not just mm-hmm. the fashion side of it. I think it's broader, and I think... You know, you only have to look at the past decade to see all these different trends and, and things that have become important to people's lives, that, that some of which have come up perhaps through Instagram. Things like wellness is so so important to particularly women today. You know, the, what the Me Too me- movement means for women today, feminism, and all of those different things, I think, is right that uh, it has its place. You know, Vogue is all, uh, often, not always, has often been a place where it talks about so much more than fashion. Back, you know, during the war, there was kind of reportage. And it's, so it's not necessarily away from what it has been. Yes, it started as a society magazine for ladies, really about fashion. Um, it's gone through periods where it's very, very fashion-focused. Fashion is still at the heart, but you always get these different strands and different things that um, the core audience is interested in. I was going to ask a question about um, Vogue's business model, uh, because you mentioned before that uh, you were working at a publication that was mostly fo- focused on subscriptions mm-hmm. and um, in- increasing the number of loyals. What is uh, Vogue's relative business model compared to that? Is it mm. more advertisement? Is that where the, the so money comes it's from? It's really diverse, and one of the reasons that I was put in Blaze was really to build that diverse business. So. In order to do any of the things you might want to do in the future as a publisher, and all you know, publishers are dipping their toes into all these things, you know, events, mm. uh, e-commerce and affiliate linking, um, uh, experiential, all of these different things, um, then, or, you know, custom solutions or, or advertising or selling more magazines, all of those you need bigger audiences online, you then need to develop those audiences, get them to come back more frequently in order to do any of those things. So I was really brought in for the first piece of the puzzle, and um, grow the big funnel as it's quite an ugly term, yeah. but, um, and, then, and then kind of drive, th- then we've got enough people who love Vogue, who are, are the right kind of people who might then want to buy a training course in how to become a fashion designer or okay. whatever. So it's kind of, it's, it's a diverse revenue model, more diverse mm-hmm. than it perhaps was in the days of pure print. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, leaning into many things. And, and you know, Condé Nast also has subscription, online subscription pro- uh, products like Vanity Fair and and Wired and New Yorker in, in the States are, do have a, a muted wall. Uh, and... Yeah, I'd say, do you think that it's because of your di- sort of diversified revenue streams that you have never been, have you, have you ever been tempted to do the whole 
clickbaity style, just get quick hits for like short stories, easy, easy money sort of thing. Have yeah. you ever been tempted to do that or is that something you've been put I off by? I think it's, you know, Vogue, you will have a certain expectation of the brand to be of super high quality. So never at the, uh, the face of the brand. So until recently, I was, I was also overseeing um, audience development for, for the GQs internationally. And I think therefore, there I can probably give you a better example where we've had in the past a, a, some content where it's, you know, we'll be speaking um, about women um, or, you know, showing, showing um, images online, which in this day look really dated. business models at Vogue and if you've ever been uh, have you ever basically clickbait is, is that something you've ever been tempted by that's, I think that's where we were at anyway so I think Vogue's of course everybody gets tempted by clickbait at times and you see the metrics and you're like oh suddenly a story that has worked but we're really really conscious of right. not ju of not just bringing in the wrong type of readers or the readers who won't ever go on to be loyals what's the point of, of just kind of attracting a large audience if they if we can't turn those into regular readers so you might get a story we had a story uh, last week or the week before where we got 1.3 million uniques which is a lot for us um, it was about Priyanka Chopra. She's, you know, everybody's like obsessed with her, particularly in India right now. And again, you know, it, it, it's kind of how to how to tell stories in the right way. That story was a good example of probably we had lots of people just coming to us once because it was a very particular look she had that on that day. Um, but at the same time, I think that we'd always pushed to. to to ensure that we had those stories you'd expect of Vogue. And one of the things, the area I'm based in is, is a, a part of the organisation called Vogue Global Network. And we're new-ish, we're an editorial team in London and we commission centrally and, and supply some of the stories that you see on the Vogue websites. Um, now the reason we do that is because things like top talent, it's much easier to negotiate on behalf of the 26 folks than mm. one or two when you're when you're talking digital only. And um, so what some of the stories that we that we commission, we know they're not gonna get bumper bumper traffic. We know that they're not gonna bring in 1.3 million uniques. But at the same time, it just makes sense for us to do. We have to, you know, it, it, we're just at the start of Fashion Month, London Fashion Week, and then uh, uh, New York first. And then, uh, you know, there's some designer interviews that we just have to do, and they will bring in some audience, and, and those audiences are, are those that are more likely to kind of convert into people who'll come regularly. So it, it's a balance, mm. uh, but you just always have to keep your eye on, yeah, the quality. Right. And, and um, you know, we're, we're not sites to talk about rumor. Where Vogue's always been a positive place, so it doesn't talk about diets. It's always talked about positive uh, positivity, etc. So it's it's kind of still staying true to that core. I think, that, and I think that's very encouraging because it can be obviously very easy and very um, profitable to mm -hmm. to sort of uh, do those sorts of negative pieces. And I think mm -hmm. it's good that Vogue, given the reputation and the clout that it has, that it doesn't try mm -hmm. to invest itself in that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, is your so your your role? Do you uh, interact with the other branches of Condé Nast as well, or is it? So do you have any experience with the social desks at the other magazines? Is that any? 
Is the process any different at, say, New Yorker or Wired or...? So it's all relatively similar. So until last year, it was two very separate companies. We were Condé, there was Condé Nast in the US and Condé Nast International, which was kind of everything outside US. I worked for the Condé Nast International. We're now going through an integration process. So coming much closer, we've always had good relationships and always had relationships. So we always had an understanding of how the audience teams would work there and how they'd have, you know, not dissimilarly, they have, there's a central audience team with SEO expertise, there's, there's social expertise, and then there's embeds in each of the, okay. uh, the publications. So for example, GQ or Vogue will have an embed embedded audience uh, team member and audience editor who will report through the central team but for all intents and purposes they work for the brand they work for Vogue or they work for GQ or they work um, for for the New Yorker yeah Uh, that's that seems like a particularly um, I guess nuanced approach to uh, because it's important you have a consistent branding across all of Mm -hmm. what they asked Um, but it's good that these other branches are allowed to be be their own brand as well, in a mm-hmm. way, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose that can be quite hard to, quite hard to manage. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I guess also um, with Vogue, it's a specialism, isn't it? Like, you're not going to get the reader of any magazine going to Vogue. Like, it's going to be people that are interested in fashion, maybe have a job in fashion. So, going back to the idea of like clickbait and, and being tempted to post that kind of thing, that's not kind of your audience, I'm guessing. Like, your audience exactly. is much more. They're, they're niche like they, they're there because they know what you're talking about whereas a lot of people like yeah we all know who Gucci is and what the, their, their bags mm-hmm. look like but we can't tell you anything else about them but then your audience can and that's why mm-hmm. clickbait probably doesn't work for your branding but mm-hmm. it does for other magazines mm-hmm. in other areas mm-hmm. so I guess that's so there's a, there is a core fashion audience absolutely but it also we, we are that fashion audience is, is kind of probably too small um, to really, we, we need to think beyond that, which is why we do make sure we do things like SEO and rank for things like if, if people are searching best mascara or you know designer sunglasses or fashion trends 2020 or jeans trends 2020, we would rank for them so that they may not be the core fashionista audience but there is actually you know there's an incredible number of people who are who are asking those questions and then you know something like street style which is a you know phenomenon which is what perhaps like 15 or 20 years old then the amount of um you know user interaction about uniques and page views we get for people wanting to look at other people wearing street style i don't think they are core, all core fashion people mm-hmm. there it's, it's a wider audience thing sure. yeah yeah i mean like yeah whenever i google like best hair products for blonde hair like Vogue is always up there and I'll always click on it so it is people like me like looking for that specific thing that they know you'll have but again it's knowing that your brand is supplying that information so it is still like a wider niche but I guess it is still like a niche of people Mm -hmm. that go there and we're speaking of course on the Friday before the Oscars on the Sunday and so one of the things we've been doing as well is um, ensuring that you know I sent an email this morning ensuring that everybody was checking their, what we're calling the parent page, the everything you need to know about the Oscars, checking checking people were ranking for it, checking they'd updated the story, checking they remembered to update it on Sunday night when they're so busy pulling in images, doing analysis of the, the, the red carpet looks. But really, you know, it, without that kind of attention to SEO, loads of people on Monday morning will be coming in, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Googling red carpet Oscars, but you have to do the pre-work, you have to have a look, at, you have to do the work on SEO, we published that story in October or November, gave it time to rank, it's been, I was looking at it this morning, it was kind of bubbling up in all the different vogues around the world, um, but that pre-work 
is required from mm. that parent article to then link it to the other stories that we do on the night about you know the key moments the the best dressed etc or the, the red carpet dresses so so we kind of have to have to do all that and without somebody like me doing that strategic stuff behind the scenes then it's just kind of firing off stories and seeing where they land it's where, data, yeah. exactly whereas if you can properly plan these big events big tentpole events you can end up with really large audiences mm. and they're really important for the brand it's really important that vogue is known as as, as a place that comments it that, that brings you the red carpet dresses or the and something like the oscars is such a gold mine for you like that's perfect yeah i was also so we don't have too terribly much time left but i was just going to ask you one question is that sometimes doing the social media work can be very um draining because it's not like traditional journalism where you write your story and it's done and there's that feeling of completeness there's mm -hmm. this constant iterative process so is there ever any sense of like burnout I guess I think there's burnout for journalists at all levels I don't think now any story is done you know right, I think fair. I think online you a good journalist will follow that story will reopen it they'll respond to comments they'll think about where to take it next um, the, 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 you know, you, your story used to end when you filed it to editors who put it in a print publication. Now the process is continuous, it's up to you to help find the audience for that, to build the audience around you as the, the, the anchor for that news area. Um, so I think there is the risk of burnout for, all, for, for journalists everywhere. And yes, social is a 24-7 operation. And most of our audience is online. They're, they're, they're in the evenings, they're at weekends, they're when newsrooms traditionally have fewer staff or no yeah. staff. Um, so this has really kind of flipped things on its head, if you like, and I think there is a risk of, of, of kind of complete burnout for a lot of people and, and, and the need to really have trusting, well-organised schedules to mean that you can do handoffs so that you can hand off where you are to, to the next team who would take over. Yeah. Well... That's it. We, we want to do a format where we ask you to end the podcast with a piece of advice you would give to a journalist. So, very briefly, what would your advice be? It's really obvious the piece of advice I would give to a journalist is kind of staying curious, reading around the subject, not only your key subject that you are reporting on, but really understanding where journalism is going, understanding how to how you know the other publications that are doing well understanding the business models really staying fresh in that area is, is how you will stay fresh how you'll stay ahead how you will it, you know it's lifelong learning these days in, in every field but never more so than journalism and you, you can't just rely on your employers to update you you have to do it for yourself and go out there and read every day and follow news every day that is around the business of journalism and not just your beat Read everyone. Yep, read news. Thank um, you very much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hopefully, we will be back. Hopefully, next week, uh, we have a few guests lined up. Um, to be revealed. To be revealed. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, exactly. Very exciting. A sequel hook, if you will. A cliffhanger. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Thank and you. We will see you. Hopefully, here. Listen. See, we won't see you. No. But you'll hear us. Hopefully, a bit later down the line. Thank you very much.